Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. As promised, we are going to talk about HR1 today. That is the bill that has to do with our voting processes here in the United States and and why it is so troubling and so disastrous and what we actually need to know about it, what we need to know about the state of it, where it is now. I'm going to talk to Congressman, Congressman from Texas, Chip Roy, on what HR1 is. We're also going to talk about the border crisis. We'll talk a little bit about the growing debt as well. Uh, Then I want to talk about this statement that was released by some evangelicals who voted for Biden, who now say that they are feeling betrayed, as you may expect. I have some thoughts about that. But first, my conversation with Congressman Chip Roy. Here he is. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. There's so much that I want to talk to you about today. Uh, Let's start out by talking about H.R. One, a bill that has been passed in the House under the guise of protecting election integrity. Is that what this bill does? Well, no, great to join you. Great to be on the show. And, uh, you know, it's H.R. One for a reason, right? These guys name their bills, you know, a certain number in order to get priority. And this was their first out of the box priority for the Democrats, the federal takeover of elections. And that's what this is. This is a bill that would uh, take all of the decisions we like to make in Texas, where, where you and I live, or any state in the union, and they'd go put it into Washington for federal bureaucrats to tell us how we vote. And importantly, they would be increasing the very problems that we experienced in November, right? They would be taking, for example, ballot harvesting and putting it on steroids. They would be increasing mail-in ballots, not decreasing it, even though there's general bipartisan agreement that mail-in ballots are much more ripe for fraud. Uh, They would be expanding mail-in ballots. They would be making it to where we're paying for the campaigns of uh, politicians who want to hold office for members of Congress. Uh, And they would be collecting private information on people, which makes it a lot easier to use it for doxing and going after people. And, And really, it's cutting down on the First Amendment and free speech. And it's wrong. And you and I both know the elections had very strong problems in November. Uh, Democrats didn't like the result in 16. We didn't like the result in 20. Uh, we should restore integrity, and that's why it should be state-based reforms, and that's what I'm supporting. And what do you think is the real motivation behind a bill like this to try to centralize uh, these processes in the name of you know honorable and honest elections? Well, that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. They like to name these things so that it sounds like they're doing something nice and wonderful. But in truth, what they're doing is rather pernicious. And uh, what I support is reform at the state level in Texas and across the nation. And I'm working heavily with groups in D.C., as well as legislators in Texas, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the think tanks, to try to advance the kind of reforms we want to see. What are those? Limited limits on mail-in ballots getting people to vote on election day. When you do have mail-in ballots, have signature matches, have barcodes between the envelopes and the, and the ballots so you can track them. Uh, make sure that you can uh, have voter identification to make sure you know who's voting. Democrats don't want any of that. In fact, their bill in HR1 would limit the use of voter ID. And you ask why. Why is very simple. Uh, Democrats only are concerned about power. They're not actually concerned about figuring out how we can have true and fair elections where we have the rule of law completely supported. Uh, They want to make it to where, for example, any of the hundreds of thousands of people pouring across our border right now in southern Texas would be able to then come in and vote. And and you think I'm making that up. It's true. That's what the Democrats are saying. They want anybody to be able to vote, regardless of their voter ID, 
any human being who happens to be present. And these are people that don't have a stake in our uh, in, in our elections on, by law, right? You're supposed to be a citizen of the United States. It's purposeful. They want to do it for political gain. We want to enforce the rule of law and protect the citizens and protect our elections. And that's what we're working to try to do. This also lowers the voting age to 16, correct? Well, there was an amendment to vote to lower the voting age to 16, which, thank goodness, it failed. But oh, it allows them to register at 16 to get in queue. And so you can go around to high schools and try to get everybody registered at 16 and 17 before they turn 18. They tried to actually pass voting at 16. They would love to. Uh, they did try to. Uh, it does include increased voting rights for uh, felons and for uh, unbe- unbelievably, they wanted people to be able to vote in jail as well. I think we actually were able to kill that one. But but uh, they, they there's no limit to where they want to go with this stuff. Can you talk a little bit more? You mentioned at the beginning of your first answer, ballot harvesting. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is and why people should be concerned about that? Sure. And that, I'm really glad you asked that question because people don't know. Right. I mean, there's a whole cottage industry, uh, particularly in the Democrat uh, circles, where their goal is to go out and try to force people into registering a certain way or voting for certain people. And so it's one thing if you are helping a loved one and you you go pick up a ballot, they fill it out, they put it in an envelope, you grab it and you go take it to the registrar, you go take it to a drop off. That's fine. That's what you do for family or loved ones or friends. What the Democrats have been doing is they have a whole concerted effort to go out and basically shove ballots in front of people, get them to sign, register, uh, or, or actually vote a certain way and kind of you know, encourage a certain voting pattern or direction, uh, particularly among the elderly and the infirm who can't get to go to vote in person. And that's that's the kind of harvesting they're doing, putting aside that then that is right for additional fraud and abuse because you've got paper ballots and who's voting and do you have an extra ballot that someone can fill in? All of that stuff is problematic. But ballot harvesting is really the purposeful effort to use pressure to go around and try to gin up and get votes um, rather than an individual exercising their vote of conscience alone in the voters uh, booth. The ACLU a couple of years ago actually came out a- against HR1 for the reason that you listed that it is a threat to free speech, to political speech. Can you explain that a little bit more, how this is an assault on the First Amendment? Sure. Well, what they're trying to do is go after and target uh, particularly uh, donors who are giving to organizations um, and try to then get that information and make it public uh, so that people can then be targeted. I mean, how often did you see, I mean, you guys see it on social media, uh, people will go after people if they make a certain statement or, or, or maybe someone will post somebody's address or phone number and go after them simply because they're exercising their free speech rights. Well, this would do that for dollars that you're giving to candidates or to organizations. If you uh, were a donor and you wrote a check, $100 or $10,000 to a 501c3 you know, or C4 or some, some organization, and they're you know, out uh, you know, with some sort of message, uh, then people can go target them. And we think that's wrong. And, and, you know, I think social media has just amped that up so that people can easily get doxxed and targeted. Uh, and for this reason, for the record, by the way, not to change topics, I took a hiatus from social media back in mid-January. And my life has been eminently better over the last eight weeks without getting on Twitter and, and seeing that cesspool every day. But that's what they want to do. They want to use social media to target people. Right. And like you said, people already feel, especially on the Republican side, intimidated enough. Uh, They already self-censor their views, whether it's on social media or I saw a recent study that's even among friends. They feel like they can't actually state their opinion if they voted for President Trump or they're 
on a conservative side of the issue. So you're saying that this just amps that up and potentially ratchets up the consequences for people's legitimate political stances, right? No, that's exactly right. And that's what I'm most concerned about, right? We're seeing the targeting of, of, of you, of me, of everybody that shares our values and beliefs. It's happening on the floor of the House of Representatives, right? We're getting canceled. Uh, colleagues of mine for simply exercising their rights and free speech and debate. Uh, they're being uh, told that you know they can't either serve on committees or, or uh, they may not be able to co-sponsor a bill. Uh, we've got organizations that are now being canceled. You, you, uh, you know, we're seeing this every single day, and students feel it uh, in schools where they're being targeted. And uh, this is just amping that up. And you're basically having the federal government say we're going to centralize and federalize elections. We're going to make sure that if you are uh, putting your free speech at, at work and you're funding an organization you believe in or a candidate you believe in. We're going to highlight that and we're going to make sure that's publicly known so you can be targeted. And uh, we're going to uh, basically step up all of the things that were causing the concerns of fraud in the elections in November. And there's one last important point. In 2005, former Democrat President Jimmy Carter uh, joined with James Baker, the former Republican Secretary of State, uh, and they together issued a report on voter fraud. And what they found was, was that mail-in ballots had a much higher degree of voter fraud. This year, we had 65 million ballots cast nationwide by mail, which was a massive increase of more than doubling, I believe, of previous levels of mail-in ballots. And this is part of the reason why we had so many concerns and so many late nights trying to figure out the results of our election. We're, we're a, a modern democracy, modern republic. We should not be uh, waiting to figure out who won an election because we have no idea and we can't trust our election. Right. And Republicans are rightly concerned about this. Of course, we want the outcomes that we want. But I think more than anything, people just want a transparent process that they can trust. And of course, we understand that all processes are fallible because they're made up of fallible human beings that can be prone to mistakes and unfortunately, you know, could commit some kind of fraud. But for the most part, we want to trust the integrity of our institutions that our vote is going to count the way that it's going to count. So I know you already mentioned um, a few reforms that you're pushing for, but can you give any encouragement to conservatives, Republicans that are already worried about the midterms? They're already worried about 2024 and they're wondering, does it even does it even matter? Like, should I even vote? Should I even care about this stuff if basically we live in a country where the process is completely muddled? Well, the good news is where you have states with governors and legislatures who believe in the rule of law, and believe in what we believe in, good things are happening. Florida, Texas, uh, other states where we had actual sensible elections, uh, we were able to know uh, the results of our elections pretty quickly. We were able to have pretty strong faith in those elections. Now, let me be clear, there's still work to be done. Let's make sure that we improve our voter rolls. Let's know who's on them. Let's make sure, as I'm going to do by introducing legislation soon, to require the Department of Homeland Security to work with states to ensure that we only have American citizens on voter rolls. We're gonna keep working to do that, but go work at your state legislatures. If you're listening to this, go down to your state capitals, make sure that this year, this year, they pass the kind of reforms that we need to pass to make sure we have belief in our systems. If you're in Pennsylvania, don't just sit back and be frustrated. Go in and require your Republican legislature, it's a Republican, by the way, to pass the laws that you want them to pass to require, for example, signature matches. They failed to do that last time. That allowed a secretary of state to exploit that. Go fix it. 
Do that in Georgia. You have a Republican governor, secretary, secretary of state, a Republican legislature. Go down, force them to change the laws. Georgia's working on that now. Other states are too. So take it in your own hands. Don't sit back and complain. We can fix this. And what is the state, just uh, for the most recent update that uh, we can get, what is the state of H.R. 1 right now? So the H.R. 1 has passed out of the House, unfortunately. We, we don't have the majority. Uh, there were, the Republicans were unanimous against it, I believe. Uh, but it's gone over to the Senate. And so now the question is, is what's going to happen there? Our hope is, is that uh, senators like Joe Manchin, maybe a couple of others, recognize how important it is not to blow up the filibuster, that is not to get rid of the 60-vote threshold, uh, and make sure that they aren't able to jam this through with simply 50 votes plus Kamala Harris. Uh, So if you live in West Virginia, make sure that Joe Manchin knows that you believe in election integrity and you don't want this farce of a bill to be jammed through the Senate. If you're in Arizona, call Kristen Sinema. If you are somewhere else, make sure that you're making sure your senators know that, because that's where it sits. And we don't want to have this passed through on a 50-vote deal with Kamala Harris breaking the ties to the vice president. Uh, so, so make sure that's known and, and, and that they feel the heat. And, and one last thing, I hope that you can give people advice on when people are talking about this on social media or maybe they're discussing with politically inclined family members or friends who say that this is a bill that is just trying to root out voter suppression, that voter suppression is such a big issue in this country and Democrats are just trying to make sure that everyone who wants to vote can vote fairly. That's the kind of line, the PR that we're hearing from the left. And of course, it's a tactic used to say that, you know, Republicans, conservatives, they want voter suppression. They only want certain kinds of people to vote. How can people kind of push back on that uh, on that line in a factual and a concise way? Well, first of all, uh, it has never been uh, easier to vote than it is right now today, anywhere in the history of mankind than it is in the United States of America. The ability for anyone to get to the polls. Uh, we have large numbers of polls. We have early voting. We have uh, mail-in ballot and absentee procedures. Frankly, we probably need to tighten those down a little bit and make it easier to vote in person on Election Day uh, for people uh, who work and so forth, rather than having these extended times. But you can push back to talk about how easy it is for people to get access to the polls, uh, where we have voter ID requirements. People can get free IDs in, in any state uh, if they need it to vote. Uh, but importantly, don't, don't be afraid to stand up on your belief that the rule of law matters, that voter ID matters, that being able to say the integrity of our election should be dependent on knowing that a citizen with a voter identification that can prove that they're a citizen, that they vote. Don't be bowed in the corner because the other side says that we're a bigot because we simply believe in the rule of law. That's what's happening. That's when you hear people throw around fancy terms like voter suppression. What they're telling you is you're a bigot. You don't want certain people to vote. That's a lie. You know it's not true. You know your heart. I know that as a Christian, I want all people to have access to be able to go forth and prosper under the, in the Lord's kingdom, uh, that we're taught to love everybody and to help everybody. Uh, we all believe that. and We want everybody to have access to the polls. We also believe the rule of law matters, that the rule of law makes people's lives better. That The reason people flock to the United States is because of the prosperity the Lord has blessed us with when we give credit to him and also enforce the rule of law. So don't be afraid of it. Don't be shy from it. And that's a perfect transition into what I want to talk about next, uh, something that gets uh, just so muddied in conversation, especially among Christians, is what's happening at the border. As a representative from Texas, I'm interested to hear your take on this. Of course, um, as as someone who, 
you know, we obviously believe in compassion and helping the least of these. We also, like you said, believe in the rule of law, which means we believe in the sovereignty of our country, that that is the best and most effective way to protect uh, the lives and the livelihoods of the citizens inside this country, which means protecting and guarding the borders. But unfortunately, there seems to be a catastrophe happening uh, down there right now. There are illegal immigrants trying to get in wearing Biden t-shirts. Can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on, separate fact from fiction. Sure. Well, we can talk for an hour about this, but I'll try to do my part to keep it concise, which is this. The, the, the status at the border is tragic. It is a crisis. It's a real problem. American citizens are endangered and immigrants are endangered. Look, the fact is that the, board, the Biden border crisis, which that's what this is, the Biden border crisis, it's a direct result of his decisions and the decisions of his administration not to enforce our laws, to turn away from the policies that were working from the previous administration, to stop building infrastructure to help our border uh, patrol secure the border. And as a result, it's now currently a lot easier for a illegal to come across our border and into the United States and into facilities and then potentially have COVID and go out in our communities than it is for an American citizen to get access to the capital of the United States. This Democrat regime in Washington running Fort Pelosi in the Capitol, has a fence with razor wire around the Capitol, and American citizens can't get access to the people's house. But meanwhile, we literally have hundreds of thousands of people pouring across our border. And here's the thing. You mentioned compassion. As a Christian, um, I've gone down and spent the night at the border talking to kids, talking to families, literally spent the night as they're coming through the middle of the night, and they're seeking border patrol and going to a facility so they can get caught and released into the country. if I were them, I would be doing the same thing. I'd be trying to find opportunity in the United States. I do not begrudge that. But go then talk about the danger to immigrants and the danger to American citizens as a result. Because when our border patrol are distracted, having to deal with a humanitarian crisis, they're not stopping the cartels. They're not stopping fentanyl. They're not stopping dangerous actors where we have people coming in from Haiti, from Iran, from Indonesia, from all over the world. We find people coming across the border. And meanwhile, children are getting sold into the sex trafficking trade. They're being held in stash houses uh, under the thumb of the cartels. They then end up being essentially in modern day human slavery. That's the result of a uh, administration that in the false name of compassion is saying open borders is somehow good for immigrants. It's a lie. Again, don't let them get away with that. That is not compassionate. It is not Christian. That's not something we should teach at the pulpits. We should love people. We should help them. When you have a baby at your doorstep, you figure out what to do with that baby, but you don't perpetuate a system that attracts people to break the law and then encourages cartels to use them for profit that ends up endangering them and the lives of American citizens in the process. That is incompetence and the Biden administration should be ashamed. Exactly. It's a it's a superficial and duplicitous form of compassion that actually uh, ends up hurting the very people that are supposed to be the beneficiaries of that empathy as well as everyone else. Um, the final thing that I want to discuss with you is your no debt resolution. That's K-N-O-W, but I'm guessing there's a little bit of a uh, there's a little bit of a play on words there. Could you could you tell us what that is? Yeah, well, you know, I served on the budget committee in the last Congress. This Congress, I'm, I moved over to the Judiciary Committee. But uh, it's one of those things that I notice up here is like nobody actually focuses on that number that just keeps ticking up. And, you know, we've now surpassed $28 trillion of debt. And, and it, you know, if you set out to count to $28 trillion, 
one Mississippi, you know, one per second, it would take you 875,000 years. I mean, wow. think about that. That's how much debt we are saddling our kids and our grandkids with. And, and here's, the, here's the most important part. We are funding the tyranny against our freedoms. That's what we're doing. Every time we do this, we're borrowing money, racking up debt, and we're spending trillions of dollars more than we're taking in in order to fund the very bureaucrats that are not teaching our kids and we're funding the teachers unions while they shut our schools down. Or if they do teach our kids, they teach our kids that America is evil or that God doesn't exist or that you're crazy for believing in God. We're funding the very DHS that is now, instead of securing our border, is a welcoming mat uh, for essentially the cartels to endanger immigrants and American citizens. Uh, we're funding China, we're funding Iran, we're funding endless wars, we're funding uh, Planned Parenthood. These are the things we continue to do by borrowing money and risking uh, the, the fiscal health of our country. So I put the No Debt Act out, out there, and last Congress was bipartisan, I hope it will be this Congress, where we have a clock uh, running in every committee room uh, so that you know what the debt is and you have to look at it when you're making the decisions that affect the American people. So it's the No Debt uh, Act, and it would uh, put a clock in, in each committee, a debt clock. And hopefully would accomplish some kind of accountability. It does seem like the bigger the number gets, the more people forget about it and just kind of feel like it's something that doesn't really matter, something that's that's not real. I think that we can't really comprehend a number that big, so we almost just kind of think of it as a figment of our imagination and something that doesn't have real consequences, but it does, not just for our generations, but for the generations to come. So um, I hope I hope this passes. I hope this works. I hope it accomplishes some kind of accountability um, in those who are, you know, kind of... Uh, the, they're just willy-nilly about, to, to use a, a, a non-formal term, about uh, the debt. So thank you so much for pushing for this. Thank you so much for pushing for accountability in a lot of areas. Can you uh, just end with some encouragement for people who feel like, oh my gosh, things are just kind of spiraling out of control and I don't know if the country can get better. Can you end us on a positive note? Well, sure, of course. I mean, look, th this is the greatest country in the history of the world that still is. We're all very frustrated. But, you know, people of faith, we know that the that the Lord is sovereign and that, that he's got a plan. And uh, there's a lot of people up here working really hard. It may, may not seem like it, but working hard to push back. I believe the momentum is with us. I believe that Democrats are overreaching. I believe that this is going to be very clear. I think that the virus, as bad as it was, has lifted the veil on a kind of dark uh, education system that the American people now have a pretty good view of what it's been doing to our kids uh, over these years. I think people are starting to get a real glimpse uh, into the underbelly of the beast of what the radical left wants to do in remaking this country. And I don't think the American people are buying it. And we're supposed to be happy warriors and march forward knowing that, that uh, we're only on this planet for a brief blip and our job is to try to preserve liberty so we can advance the mission of Christ, that's that's why we're here. And so I hope that uh, people will keep moving forward and hold your elected officials, me too, hold us accountable to, to uh, rep represent what you believe. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, Congressman, for your time. Thank you. God bless. All right, so now we're going to get into that statement by evangelicals for Biden about how they're so disappointed and feel betrayed by Joe Biden when it comes to uh, abortion policy. But before we get into that, I do want to tell you guys about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is Annie's Kit 
Club. So you guys might not know, but March is actual, actually National Crafting Month, and Annie's Kit Club is celebrating with a special 50% offer off a creative, fun, and hands-on way to help take your mind off of life's stress and aggravation. There's a lot of craziness that's going on right now. It seems like there's a lot of craziness in the news cycle all of the time, and you might just feel the need to unplug, especially on the weekends. I've been taking time off social media and off of watching the news for the past few weeks. And it's just been so helpful to my mind and a really good way to just kind of stay engaged and to uh, make sure that you are doing something that's actually productive and good for you and good for your mind is to uh, start a fun crafting project. And Annie's Kit Club makes it really easy. Every month they send you a brand new craft kit to engage your mind and calm your soul. It sends you all the instructions and special supplies that you need to create a new piece of boutique worthy decor. You've heard me talk about Annie's kit clubs for kids um where they send uh, a woodworking kit or some kind of like beading or painting kit for your son or daughter every month. But this is actually for women. So this is for you um, to be able to do every month, whether you want to make soap or uh, some kind of jewelry or candle, needle craft. It's got all kinds of options for you. You don't have to go to the craft store and look for materials. Annie's Kit Club sends you exactly what you need. So go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie, that's A-L-L-I-E, and save 50% off your first kit. No matter your crafting experience, you can make a picture-perfect project that you will be proud to display. Save 50% on your first kit today. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie, annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about this statement that was released. Uh, Theblaze.com reports it this way: pro-life evangelical group that backed Biden shocked to find out they have been quote used and betrayed by a pro-abortion president. So obviously there's some tongue-in-cheek in that reporting by the Blaze, but it's very hard at this point not to kind of have that attitude. I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, or actually it was last week, it was last Thursday when I did the whole rant on evangelicals for Biden. And, um, you know, I got a lot of feedback about that. Most of it positive, obviously. There are plenty of people who identify as Christians who voted for Biden who are very happy with their vote. They are still very proud and confident in the decision they made. But I did get some messages and some comments from people saying, you know, I'm not quite sure that I regret my vote, but I do understand what you're saying. And I understand how there may have been some policies that I didn't think through before the election. And to people like that, I think that we should be completely and totally gracious because there are things that they disagree with us about of for why we voted for Donald Trump. And obviously, I believe that they made the wrong decision. I think that I've made that abundantly clear. But at the end of the day, if Christians are going to join hands, if true followers of Christ are going to join hands and to stand up against, for example, pro-abortion policy or the Equality Act, um, then we have to be willing to be humble and to be gracious towards the 
people on the other side of the aisle or people who voted in a different way according to their conscience. Um, Now, this particular group that released a statement, um, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder to come from a place of understanding towards them because these are people who should have known better. So let me tell you some context about this statement and then I'll read some of the statement and then we'll get into a little bit more analysis. So according to The Blaze, quote, a group of pro-life evangelical leaders who banded together to support the election of President Joe Biden in the 2020 election are now expressing shock and dismay that the Democratic politician who has towed his party party's line on abortion is somehow betraying their movement and using taxpayer money to pay for abortions. They were also concerned about racism, poverty, health care, child care, minimum wage, but they were not going to give up on the life issue. That's what they said. That's why they said they voted for Joe Biden, because they wanted, I guess, subsidized health care for everyone. They cared about alleviating poverty. They cared about racism. They cared about, I don't know, subsidized child care and raising the minimum wage. Now, I think that voting for a Democrat based on these issues is completely misinformed, completely misinformed, uh, partly because some of these issues are are not issues the Democrats have provided any kind of um, good or solid or effective, efficient solution for. And partly because some of these issues aren't the issues that Democrats paint them to be. And so I think that there's a lot of misinformation if those are the reasons why someone voted for Democrats. I understand there's just differences of opinion, and I am more than happy to talk about, to discuss, to debate policy differences. I think that's, if we can stay there, if we can just talk about policy differences when it comes to presidents, when it comes to political candidates, I think we're in a good place. The fact of the matter is, is that I don't think a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden really thought through those policy issues. It was more from what I have gleaned is that Trump is really bad, that he is supremely racist and divisive with Joe Biden. We're going to get some level of moderation and normalcy and kindness and integrity, and we'll be able to influence him in the way of, you know, being pro-life. And I think that these people who thought that are realizing that, uh, that is a lost cause. That that's never going to happen. Uh, the article goes on in an open letter posted over the weekend. The pro-lifers who invested in the Biden campaign now say they feel quote used and betrayed by the Biden administration and decried the fact that the COVID relief package the Senate passed over the weekend excludes the Hyde Amendment, which prevents tax money from being used to fund abortion. So the COVID relief package—that's something that we also haven't talked about quite yet on this podcast. There's so much in the news. Um, that we that we could talk about and in culture and going on in the church that it's impossible to cover everything. But this huge COVID relief package over a, a trillion dollars just adding to the debt that we just talked about with Congressman Roy, only a tiny sliver of this COVID relief package had anything to do with actual COVID relief. Hardly any of it is going to alleviate the suffering uh, that so many people who found themselves unemployed and found themselves in isolation and in difficult positions over the past year because of government restrictions and the shutting down of the economy. Hardly any of this so-called relief is actually going to 
relieve those people. Um, but instead, it pushed forward a Planned Parenthood uh, priority, which was to make sure that taxpayer money funds abortion. Now, we've talked about on this podcast, the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment has uh, protected traditionally for decades uh, since the 1970s, the late 1970s, I believe, after Roe v. Wade. It's protected taxpayer dollars from funding federal taxpayer dollars from funding most abortions. And this is mostly been bipartisan. So while Democrats have been traditionally pro-choice and saying that it should be a woman's choice when she wants to get an abortion in most cases, the left has moved far to the left on this issue, not only moving the moving the the week of gestation when abortion should be allowed, but also getting rid of this bipartisan support of the Hyde Amendment. It is very obvious now that the pro-abortion lobby has taken over the Democratic Party, and they now believe that it should not be safe, legal, and rare, which is what the mantra was 20 years ago. It's what Hillary Clinton even said that it was a few years ago. Now it is through nine months for any reason funded by the taxpayer without apology. The National Catholic Register explains it this way. On Saturday, the Senate passed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan of 2021 by a vote of 50 to 49, sending the legislation back to the House to be reconciled and passed again. The relief bill, which includes funding of vaccine distribution, economic relief and stimulus checks, does not include abortion funding restrictions that previous relief bills were subject to. Thus, pro-life leaders have warned that the billions of dollars in health care spending under the legislation could be used to fund abortion providers such as Planned Parenthood or subsidize abortion coverage in health care plans. Senator James Lankford, a Republican from Oklahoma, attempted to insert a Hyde provision into the legislation, specifying that the funds could not be used for elective abortions. The, the measure failed to receive the necessary 60 votes for inclusion in the bill, but it was supported by three Democrats. All three Democrats that did support that ultimately supported the bill on its final passages. All Republicans voted against it, except for Dan Sullivan um, and independent Bernie Sanders and um, and then another uh, another senator as well. A group of House Democrats last week asked President Joe Biden, who now opposes the Hyde Amendment after being a longtime supporter, to not include the policy in the 2022 fiscal year budget. COVID relief bills in 2020 did keep the policy intact, including the CARES Act, which passed Congress in March 2020. That bill had provisions prohibiting funding of abortions and was also tailored to exclude Planned Parenthood from emergency small business loans. Planned Parenthood affiliates, however, did ultimately apply for and unlawfully receive $80 million in emergency loans from the Small Business Administration and uh, obviously, we understand that Planned Parenthood is not a small business. They also already receive $500 million in taxpayer funding per year. But the Hyde Amendment is supposed to protect that money from funding directly abortions. Of course, we understand that they are able to move that taxpayer funding around. Um, and so they were very likely already using our taxpayer funds to fund abortion. But now there's not even a pretense of protection. Now, Rand Paul 
uh, was apparently successful in preventing the Senate, uh, the Senate coronavirus relief bill from including a provision that would provide PPP assistance to Planned Parenthoods across America. But uh, there are still concerns that our taxpayer dollars are going to be funding abortion through other means. So the version is going back through the House. This is the uh, Joe Biden approved version and was also constructed by Democratic uh, Senator, uh, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And that is why the pro-life evangelicals for Biden are so frustrated by this whole thing because Joe Biden is approving of taking away Hyde Amendment protections to make sure that our taxpayer dollars don't fund abortion. So here's part of what the letter says. As pro-life leaders in the evangelical community, we publicly supported President Biden's candidacy with the understanding that there would be engagement with us on the issue of abortion and particularly the Hyde Amendment. The group's letter said the Biden team wanted to talk to us during the campaign to gain our support, and we gave it on the condition there would be active dialogue and common ground solutions on the issue of abortion. There has been no dialogue since the campaign. Now, why in the world would they believe that there would be any dialogue from the candidate who said openly and plainly that he did not support the Hyde Amendment? Like, why would they think that this president, as progressive as, as they come when it comes to these types of issues, would care at all after he got their votes? I mean, there's been a lot of things that Joe Biden has decided that he's not going to do. He said that those $2,000 relief checks were going to leave the door immediately. That obviously didn't happen. They're $1,400 relief checks and people still have not seen them. He said he was going to cease deportations. Apparently that hasn't happened. Not that I think that that's a bad thing, but that's something that he promised progressives. He promised, I guess, to compromise on abortion with the evangelical pro-life evangelicals for Biden. That's not going to happen. Um, I think a lot of people voted for him, like we said, in the hopes of moderation and normalcy and kindness and togetherness. And we tried to warn you. We tried to tell you that's not going to happen, that Kamala Harris is the most rabidly pro-abortion vice president that we've ever seen. She was the most rabidly pro-abortion attorney general of uh, of California when she served in that position. She was the most rabidly pro-abortion senator when she was a senator. And that is in close competition with the nominee for the HHS secretary, Xavier Becerra, uh, the competition meaning between who was the most uh, rabidly pro-abortion attorney general of California. They both targeted pro-life centers. They both targeted any kinds of protections for unborn children when they served in that position. And so Joe Biden has showed his hand on this issue, okay? He's not just pro-choice. He's not personally pro-choice, but in policy, or he's not personally pro-life, but in policy pro-choice. He is pro-abortion. It is a pro-abortion position to say that taxpayers must be forced to fund elective abortions. That is a pro-abortion position, not a pro-choice position. If it was really about pro-choice, then they would allow us the choice of whether or not we want to fund abortions. But rather, they are forcing us to pay 
for the killing of unborn children. That is a pro-abortion position that the pro-life evangelicals for Biden, I guess, thought just wasn't going to happen. I have no idea why. Like it at least developed some kind of healthy cynicism about the promises that most politicians make to try to get your support. Black Lives Matter also came out and said, hey, we supported Joe Biden and now we're not getting anything in return. We haven't even had a conversation with him. Of course, you guys, of course, he is a Democratic establishment politician who has his agenda, who is going to do what his handlers tell him to do. And one of the things that his handlers are telling him to do is to make sure that abortion is funded by the taxpayer through all nine months without restriction or apology. That is the road that he is on. And evangelicals for Biden, especially the so-called pro-life evangelicals for Biden, you were duped. And I don't feel bad. I mean, I I don't feel bad that you were tricked into this because all of the warning signs were there. It's not like he told you guys that he actually did support the Hyde Amendment. He said it. He said it. I mean, this is not even like a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is the wolf coming out and being like, hey, I'm a wolf. And then pro-life evangelicals for Biden writing an open letter saying, I'm very disappointed and betrayed that this wolf who told us that he was a wolf is actually a wolf. We thought that he was going to be a sheep. You put the sheep's clothing on him and you tried to manipulate other people into thinking that he was a sheep. He's not. He told you he's a wolf and he is a wolf and he's coming out as that. Rabidly pro-abortion, the Democrats are including Joe Biden, and you had no business supporting him. Now, I don't think that you had to have voted for President Trump to be on the right side of history. That's something that people like to say or to be right or to be sufficiently Christian. I know a lot of solid Christians who did not vote for either candidate, but to vote for the guy who is this pro-abortion, who is now taking your money to fund the slaughter of unborn children when he told you he was going to do that. And now you're saying that you feel uh, betrayed and shocked and dismayed. I don't know what to tell you. We told you guys. We, we pointed to it. We, we told you guys this was a wolf. We told you over and over and over again. And what did you vote for? You voted for some vague idea of kindness and decency. Is it kind? Is it decent to take your money to fund the killing of unborn children? I mean, what have you gotten in exchange for your vote? What, boys being able to compete with girls' sports? Poor migrants flooding in at the southern border with with Biden let us in t-shirts on? Like, what have you gotten in exchange for your vote? Nothing good. Nothing good. I guess that you don't hear President Trump anymore, that you don't have to deal with his antics, that you don't have to deal with his tweets. Was it a worthy exchange? Was it not having to be annoyed by the rhetoric of President Trump in exchange for funding the slaughtering of babies? I don't think it was a good trade, guys. I don't. And hey, if you are now coming out and saying, you know, we, I really regret, um, you know, I, I really regret this decision and I'm willing to, you know, go on the pro-life side and fight for pro-life legislation and for pro-life policies, then I will link arms with you. Of course, I, I would love to fight that fight with you. I would love to push back against darkness with you. I'm not going to hold your vote against you for the rest of your life. I have no place, no responsibility, no role, no right, no desire to do that, of course, I, I am not in any way saying that I am better than you or superior to you, but I will say that we warned you. We warned you. And so now it's time for you 
to don some humility and to don some repentance and to say that you just made a mistake. You don't feel betrayed. You don't feel betrayed. Don't come at me with that. You don't feel betrayed. You were duped somehow, even though the wolf told you that he was a wolf and you need to take responsibility for that. And then we can come together and we can push back against the darkness that we're seeing. But I also want you to remember this, okay? Remember this in the midterms. Remember this in four years when Democrats are once again telling you that, hey, religious people, hey, Christians, we care about your issues. We care about moderation when it comes to abortion. Sure, we believe that girls are girls and boys are boys. Sure, yeah, we believe in protecting women's rights. Sure. Yeah, definitely. We believe. I want you to remember. I want you to remember this. Okay, you're going to be betrayed over and over again. What did I say last week that you have linked arms with a party and with people who hate you? They hate you. And that doesn't mean that the Republican Party is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, because I certainly don't think so. I, I just don't. I think there are so many problems with Republicans. There are so many Republican politicians that I don't like or agree with that I think are just feckless and, and futile and completely just not, not at all in line with the things that I believe. But the Democratic Party is driven by now a left-wing ideology that hates you, that hates your values, that hates everything that you believe in, and they will continue to use you over and over again only for you to feel, quote, betrayed and shocked and dismayed. And I'm trying to help you get off of that hamster wheel. It's exhausting and it's going to continue to disappoint you. All right, that's all I've got for today. I will be back here tomorrow. 